Welcome to the Shit Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Broder. Are you ready to shoot the shit? I wish I could say I was coming in hot for this episode. That would be the most appropriate. We're talking about alcohol, its impacts on the gut, and hangovers, ways to try to expedite them or reduce them in general. But for those of you who don't know, coming in hot means you're coming in, not necessarily hammered, but pre-gamed drunk. I'm not coming in hot. It's 10 a.m. in the middle of the week, but I wish I were. I think that would be make for a really fun episode. Here we go. Jumping right in as unhot as possible. With the spring comes longer days, more socializing, being outside, day drinking, perhaps heavier drinking for those of us outside in the spirit of summer fun, whatever. So I thought, let's address alcohol. So what does all this mean? This means warm weather, we're out, we're social more. More situations that could potentially contribute to inflammation and gut damage, aka when we're drinking, we're increasing inflammation and potential gut damage. So let's talk about alcohol, that shit, we hate to love, or I don't know, maybe some of you love to love it, but you know, it's, as I always refer to it, my two favorite idiots, sugar and alcohol. We all love them, but there are literally like no benefits. Okay. So just before I get into anything, making this clear as fuck, I've said it a hundred times. I'll continue to say it. Alcohol is inflammatory. Alcohol is a toxin. There are no known health benefits from alcohol. It is known for killing germs. So I'd say that's about as far as its benefits go. And I'm not encouraging alcohol consumption now or ever. Let's just make that clear. I will try to put as positive of a spin on my points as possible, but I am in no way encouraging that you get after it. (laughs) Eh, Have a drink later. Anyway, okay. Just some brief background setting the stage here on alcohol. Alcohol is absorbed through the GI tract with 70% of it being absorbed in the small intestine. The largest part of alcohol metabolism occurs in the liver, which I'm sure is not news, but here it is metabolized by an enzyme called alcohol dehydrogenase. It's then with that enzyme converted to acetaldehyde, which is further oxidized to acetate so it can be excreted from the body. Now, obviously it's a lot more complicated than that. I'm keeping it as understandable and digestible as possible. So this is where hangovers come from. When you've had so much to drink, your body's working overtime and it can't convert the ethanol, the alcohol, to acetaldehyde to acetate quickly enough. We experience hangover symptoms when we have this buildup of acetaldehyde. So alcohol needs to be converted to acetaldehyde in order to be converted to acetate. And acetate is how we can excrete it from the body. But our body can only produce these processes so quickly. So when you've had more and more and more, the body, as I said, is working in overtime to convert it to acetaldehyde to then convert it to acetate. And when it's taking a little bit longer than usual, acetaldehyde builds up and you feel like shit. Acetaldehyde is a highly toxic substance and a known carcinogen. We'll say that loud and clear. Highly toxic, known carcinogen. It causes inflammation and it wreaks havoc by causing cell damage. So this havoc occurs in various tissues, the liver, the pancreas, the brain. But important to mention, the GI tract is also impacted. And of course, that's 
our shitty fucking topic for today. So we all metabolize alcohol at different speeds based on genetics, based on gender, individual metabolic variances, etc. Science has actually shown, I sort of loved this, but also sort of hated it. Science has shown that Europeans have mutated to be able to break down alcohol faster. Now, of course, when I hear that, I'm like, well, what? What are they doing? I personally, after reflecting on my time traveling overseas, meeting Europeans in America versus Americans and myself, if I had to guess, I think this is because they have alcohol more steadily, consistently. And by steady, I mean they consume it regular in smaller quantities versus Americans who have eight drinks at once, wake up feeling like shit, and they say they're never drinking again. They basically take a week off and they do the same thing the next weekend. Europeans have a beer or a glass of wine with lunch and they move on with their day. It's more part of their day to day and it's not seen as like, oh, time to let loose, time to get wild. Like <clears throat> it's really more of just, oh, I'm having a beer or beer, whoever you're talking to with lunch. It's not like in America, we're like, oh my God, should I have wine with lunch and go back to work? It's like the biggest deal. Oh, but should I, okay, do, they, do you smell it on me? Do you see it? Do, do my eyes look okay? What do you think? I think they've exposed their bodies to alcohol much more regularly and in a less American dramatic manner, which has given their body the opportunity, and of course this is over decades, but the opportunity to, as the science showed, mutate to break it down more efficiently. I don't know if that's the case. This is my personal, if I had to guess as a dietitian, as a human being, as an American who drinks versus the way I see Europeans drink. I loved it. I'm also like, should we take a page out of their book, have wine with lunch? Then I'm like, I don't know about that. So anyway, thought that was interesting. And I have a few more quick tidbits. So when you're picking something like wine, for example, 13% alcohol content or less is usually on the lower end of the sugar. So if you're looking for lower sugar, make sure it's 13% alcohol or less. I will say these days there are some like low calorie, low sugar wines on the market. I've tried several, they're fine. I'm definitely not a sophisticated wine drinker. My palate is very unimpressive with that. So, you know, you could be into wine and drink and be like, this tastes like goddamn terrible. So I apologize in advance, but I thought it was fine. It was light. Anyway, another thing that I've learned is the drier the wine is on the tongue means more tannins. These tannins are actually indicative of higher polyphenol content and it's drier. So that's better. I will talk about polyphenols in a second. Um, your risk for GI cancers increases with alcohol intake. I think that probably seems obvious, but important to mention. Alcohol actually impedes the breakdown of triglycerides from fat in meals. So, and it also impedes the metabolism of fat. So your cholesterol could definitely increase with a higher alcohol intake. Put in a different way, the more alcohol you drink, the less efficient your body is at breaking down triglycerides and fat metabolism. So it accumulates. So your blood values, your blood labs, your blood labs, your labs or your blood work could show higher triglycerides, higher cholesterol, higher in the fat department due to the less efficient breakdown of these compounds. So that's something to keep in mind if you've been drinking more and you get labs back and you notice you have high triglycerides or higher cholesterol, something like that. Cut back on the alcohol, see if it makes a difference. And now, so here's one exciting slash not that exciting piece of research I came across. I had to address it though, because I feel like people are always saying like, 
Oh, isn't red wine good for you? Oh, but, but red wine and dark chocolate, I can have that, right? It's heart healthy. Like it's, there's so much mixed messaging. It's really unfair and, and it's confusing, but so polyphenols interfere with glucose metabolism. So they slow the absorption and therefore they slow the rise of blood sugar levels when you're drinking alcohol. So alcohol with polyphenols have been shown to be beneficial for your gut. And by this, we mean one to two drinks. So alcohol highest in polyphenols include red wine and apple-based ciders. And then the second group would be rosé wines, white wines, champagnes, lagers, and some Belgium beers. But here's why this is like helpful slash not helpful. The sugar content of these probably outweighs the positive effects of those polyphenols. So what am I saying? I'm basically saying there are some types of alcohol that have a higher content of polyphenols, which actually helps not spike blood sugar levels, which is typically seen with alcohol, usually with most people. It's actually varies person to person as a lot of research has shown, but the majority of people drink alcohol, the blood sugar level spikes, which then leads to a dip, which then means you're hungry. And that's why a lot of times people get drunk munchies or they eat more, or they wake up super hungry, whatever. Polyphenols, because they interfere with the metabolism of glucose, they slow this absorption and this helps do a more gradual blood sugar rise. Now, typically when you're drinking, if you're having one to two, okay. A lot of people are not having just one to two. Another thing to consider, like I mentioned, is the sugar content. Another thing to consider is what you're eating while you're drinking. Oftentimes people get a little buzz. Maybe they eat a little more. Maybe they go for a dessert they want. So I definitely would not rely on red wine, ciders, rosé, champagne, whatever. I would not rely on those for your polyphenol intake. It's always nice to hear something positive, but it's like the shit gets so blown out of proportion. Like, oh, it's healthy. I'm going to have red wine with every meal. Like not, not recommended. Um, but I wanted to mention it because it's something that people constantly ask about. And it's because of course we want to believe there's some sort of positivity or like positive impact from drinking alcohol. I have to say there's really not, I mean, it's a toxin and between just like weighing down your body in every way and like nothing is operating efficiently. It's dehydrating all of that. Not to mention the sugar, which I've now said 10 times. It's really, it, (laughs) It's, it's not it. So I wanted to mention it, you know, and then there's resveratrol in red wine. Again, people think high antioxidant content. This is the polyphenol in there specifically. The amount you'd have to consume to truly reap the benefits of resveratrol. It's just, it's a little annoying though. Cause then it's like, why bother bringing the science to light? Cause it's not actually beneficial. It's like, it's like that little glimmer of hope. And then we like to like twist it, twist it and turn it into whatever we want it to be. But Wanted to mention, point is, eat your fruits and vegetables for your polyphenols and your plant-based foods. Do not rely on alcohol, although polyphenols do slow the spike in your blood sugar. So if you are drinking a red wine, an apple-based cider, a rosé, a white wine, some lagers, some beers, fine. Okay, I'm done with that. Now, on to some more shit talk. I want to address the gut-liver-brain axis. We have an episode on the gut-brain axis. Did you know there's actually a gut-liver-brain axis? We know the gut and the brain communicate. It's bidirectional. They speak to each other. The gut also communicates with the liver, and the liver also communicates with the brain. Will everyone just please stop fucking talking? It's too much communication. 
So alcohol is first broken down in the liver. As we discussed earlier, alcohol dehydrogenase is the enzyme that helps convert it to acetaldehyde so it can be excreted as acetate. The whole point of mentioning this is so that make it clear if A equals B and B equals C, A equals C. The gut talks to the liver, the liver talks to the gut. The gut talks to the brain, the brain talks to the gut. The liver talks to the brain, the brain talks to the liver. They're all incommunicado. And when I was actually researching and writing up this episode, as someone born in 1990, Mean Girls had a huge impact on my life. So I immediately was just thinking of the three mean queen bees. Regina's talking to Gretchen. Gretchen's talking to Karen. Karen's talking to Regina. Gretchen's also talking to Karen. Karen's talking to Gretchen. They're all talking. Everyone's in communication. Whether they're all talking together or one on one, they're all talking. So communication is occurring. And what goes on between these three? The gut, liver, brain axis with alcohol metabolism, all of what the processes that go on cause inflammation in the brain. So the inflammation that goes on in the liver when we're metabolizing it and the inflammation that occurs in the gut from the damage from the alcohol. The, my point in this confusing thing that I've now confused myself, the point is that they all talk to the brain, they all cause inflammation, so therefore this inflammation gets to the brain. That was my point. So alcohol ingestion has been shown to disrupt the gut microbiome. And actually, I was listening to a podcast, I don't know, at this point, like several months ago, but I was talking about how alcohol is used to kill bacteria, like cleaning wounds. I liked that, that was a really good point because it's like antibiotics. It goes in and it kills everything in the gut. So it doesn't know if it's a good bacteria or bad bacteria, it just kills it. And again, we've talked about this in other episodes with antibiotics. That's why I try to take them as infrequently as possible. It's not good. This can absolutely disrupt the microbiome when things are being killed off. And there is lots of evidence that's been gathered from exper experiments done in rodent models. It shows that changes in gut composition, the gut microbiota, impacts how the brain functions and behavioral aspects like depression and anxiety. So again, this is just another point of alcohol disrupts the gut, the gut talks to the brain, and these disruptions can cause changes in mood, changes in cognitive function, things like depression and anxiety. Now acetate, acetate is, as I mentioned, alcohol, ethanol gets converted to acetaldehyde to acetate to be excreted. Once, once acetate is produced by the liver, it actually diffuses back into the intestines. In the intestines, it becomes a carbon source and supports bacterial growth. So this is how alcohol can upset the balance of the gut microbiome, because of course, this is going to benefit some species and not other others, which is then going to lead to some type of bacterial overgrowth in the gut when some are thriving off of this carbon and some are not. So... This can then lead to behavioral alterations via the gut-brain access because the gut-brain communication is disrupted by alcohol-related immune and gut dysfunction, as we've said. Alcohol alters intestinal microbiota or our gut's microbiome. It alters the pH level, and it also alters permeability of the gut lining, which we'll talk about. It's called leaky gut. So this then causes an increase in displacement of bacteria, aka endotoxins can leave the gut and go where they're not supposed to go, and this can impact our central nervous system and the brain. Now, just transitioning a little bit more into the gut-brain axis, the vagus nerve, which is what connects the gut to the brain, it's the fastest and most direct route that connects them. It transmits information from the GI tract, respiratory, and cardiovascular systems. So the alterations of vagal activity at the intestinal level are associated with things like bacterial overgrowth and bacterial 
translocation, like that leaky gut that I talked about, the bacteria being displaced from the gut. And this means there's a lot of bacteria leaving the gut and relocating. We don't want that. We have also seen with alcohol withdrawal and during chronic alcohol consumption, there is a dysregulation in vagal signaling, and this can result in neuroinflammatory processes. For example, alcohol metabolism is inflammatory, as we know, and it releases things like inflammatory cytokines. This is one of those neuroinflammatory processes I'm referring to. Part of the liver metabolism of alcohol releases these cytokines and sends them to the brain. So again, another example of how the liver speaks to the brain and causes, there's inflammation in the liver, and then it's also brought up to the brain. So it's important to note that alcohol abuse leads to a disruption of the intestinal barrier integrity or that leaky gut and increases the permeability of the gut lining. Again, leaky gut. The bad bacteria can now leave the gut and go into other parts of the body. It causes inflammation. It wreaks havoc. We do not want that. And alcohol is something that can, I don't want to say destroy the gut lining, but after years and years and years of chronic alcohol abuse, the gut lining is certainly damaged and leaky. Numerous studies have demonstrated that alcohol, its metabolites, and alterations of the gut microbiome from alcohol intake are what cause this leaking. There are other things that can cause this leaking as well, but alcohol itself, things it produces when it's metabolized, and changes to the gut microbiome are what cause it when we're speaking about alcohol. So that's important to note just because, again, it goes back to that gut liver brain connection, you're drinking, you may not think about this in terms of like anxiety, depression, things going on in other parts of the body. But there are people that drink a lot, the next day they feel kind of down. They're depressed. There's a connection. This is why. And it's not necessarily that one night of drinking is going to cause leaky gut or that, you know, bacteria is going to translocate immediately and the brain's going to swell and oh my god, like no, not necessarily in one go at it, but years and years, even if it's you know, five drinks a week, you do that for 10 years, I'm sure your gut and the intestinal barrier is not as strong and healthy as perhaps it could be. So just things to keep in mind. Everything gets back to that brain. Now, you knew this was coming. We've got some shitty shit talk. I tend to focus on constipation, but when it comes to alcohol, diarrhea and loose stools are much more commonly seen. So I just have a few tidbits as we've established, alcohol causes inflammation. This is true of inflammation in the GI tract, where 70% of it is metabolized, or excuse me, 70% of it's metabolized in the small intestine, large part of the GI tract. This could lead to diarrhea, this inflammation. So that's point number one, how alcohol can cause diarrhea. Point number two, the way we absorb water has actually changed when we drink alcohol. So I did mention this in the hydration episode. The colon can extract water from poop, and it's supposed to do this. So when we poop it out, it's not soaking wet. When we're drinking, everything's lagging, everything's working overtime, it's not functioning op- optimally, this is impaired. So water, more water is exiting with our poop. It doesn't give the colon time to extract the amount of water it needs to extract from it. But so when not enough water is extracted, this can lead to diarrhea or looser stools. Alcohol impacts our intestines, obviously inflammation, like I've said a hundred times. But another thing to mention, alcohol speeds up the intestine. So the muscles contract faster, which moves along stool more quickly. And this can result in diarrhea or undigested food in our poop because we didn't have enough time to digest what we ate. Important to keep that in mind. 
And just putting a bow on this, diarrhea and alcohol individually will, of course, cause dehydration, but together, a million percent. So got to be on top of it. Please refuel. Please rehydrate. Now, coming into, I'll say today's the preventative part of today's shit talk. I want to say this could give us a glimmer of hope. Preventative things to do to reduce your hangover, expedite the hangover. Now, remember, the only way to entirely avoid a hangover is to not drink alcohol. I'll say that loud and clear. As I've established, alcohol is inflammatory. Alcohol is a toxin. You can't avoid a hangover. Some people, you know, they can have three drinks. They don't feel anything. That's fine. But my point is, I'm giving these tips. It doesn't mean, oh, you're going to prevent a hangover entirely. Like, no, alcohol is metabolized. So it's metabolized. It's going to wreak havoc. It's going to wreak. But these are things that could potentially minimize the hangover feelings and or help expedite, help your body clear the alcohol more quickly. So my first thing is glutathione or NAC supplements. So glutathione is the master antioxidant it's produced nat naturally by our liver and increased levels of glutathione have been shown to protect against alcohol induced oxidative stress. It protects your body against oxidative stress and damage in general, but it's found in avocados and cruciferous vegetables like broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, cauliflower, kale. Glutathione helps the body clear toxins faster by preventing the buildup of acetaldehyde. So that's where it's so imperative for alcohol metabolism. You can buy NAC supplements. So NAC stands for N-acetylcysteine, or excuse me, N-acetylcysteine, however you want to pronounce that. But we pronounce it NAC. NAC is a precursor to glutathione. So you don't buy glutathione. You buy NAC supplements, and that's going to support your body's glutathione production. Um, funny story with this. I was sort of dating someone for like a month. I don't know if I'd call it dating. I was spending time with someone for a month and he worked in the supplement industry and he kept calling it NAC, N-A-C. And at first I didn't know what he's talking about. I was like, oh, he means N-A-C. This guy's an idiot working in the supplement industry. So just to make it clear to everyone, N-acetylcysteine, it's pronounced N-A-C. It's not pronounced NAC. Don't be that idiot. It was embarrassing enough. And I, I'm scarred from it, quite frankly, just, you know, it's one thing when like you're talking to someone they're you know, they're a teacher, they don't know. It's somebody like works in the supplement industry and you're like, you don't even know how to pronounce. Can you read what happened? So needless to say, I stopped seeing him cause gotta know how to read. Okay. Point number two, minerals, specifically zinc and niacin. Niacin is vitamin B3. A study published in the Journal of Clinical Medicine evaluated diets for individuals for 24 hours before and after excessive drinking occurred. It was a small study and results were based on participants saying what they ate. But the point is they found that people whose food and beverage consumption contained greater amounts of zinc and B vitamins had less severe hangovers. Stud other studies have also shown that B vitamins, including B12, B6, B3, were lower in subjects after drinking. So two things here. One, alcohol interferes with absorption. So that can absolutely impact your levels of zinc and B vitamins. Second point is B3 or niacin is a cofactor in alcohol metabolism. So the more you're drinking, the more it's depleted while your body is processing that toxin. So these are reasons why you will see lower B vitamins, lower levels of zinc after drinking. So the point is get ahead of it. Take B vitamins, take zinc. If you have supplements and they're, you, I would say if you're taking multivitamin, if you have supplements, check, you may already be taking them, but if not, you can go take a, a B complex, add some zinc in. Third point. So electrolytes, we pee more when we're drinking 
And when we pee, we're losing fluids and therefore we're losing electrolytes. And just so you know, some electrolytes, sodium, potassium, calcium, magnesium, chloride, these are some examples. Alcohol inhibits your body's production of a hormone called vasopressin, aka antidiuretic hormone, ADH. So ADH signals your kidneys to retain water and it's used to help maintain water and electrolyte balance in the body. Because ADH is suppressed when you're drinking alcohol, your kidneys are actually excreting more water and you're peeing more. So obviously what does this mean? It means you're losing more fluid, you're peeing more, you're losing more fluids, you're losing more electrolytes and AKA dehydration. hello. I have to say, I don't necessarily know that dehydration is like the top reason for a hangover, but I can say if you can avoid dehydration and stay as high, obviously you can't avoid it entirely, but if you're drinking and you go in there at least hydrated, you're drinking water between drinks, you drink water and you get home before you go to bed, you drink water in the morning, that'll, it's not going to, it's not going to get rid of the hangover, but it'll certainly put you ahead of the game. So when you go into a dehydrated game over, that's, that's real life. Water's my MVP. Got to stay hydrated, but especially when you're drinking and you're losing more fluids and all these things that go into alcohol metabolism are getting depleted faster. So you've got to stay on top of it. Me personally, I have two things I like for electrolytes and minerals. So this is a boom, boom, killed you birds here. I like Peak Skin Electrolyte Packets. So Peak, P-I-Q-U-E, I'll link in the show notes. They have this BT Beauty Fountain. It's like this skin supplement. Long story short, it's very high in electrolytes. It also has ceramides for your skin. It tastes delicious. It has coconut water. It's like this yuzu flavor. I don't know. It's light. It does not taste artificially you know, sweetened. It's minimal additives. It's really good. I drink that regularly. Another thing I like are Saqqara Mineral drops. So it's like a dropper for your water. Those, um, you don't really taste, but it's like, it's easy to travel with, easy to bring around and a good source of minerals. So I'll have them both linked in the show notes. And as I said, if you're going to be drinking, go in hydrated, get those electrolytes in. I also say have these prepped when you get home. So for me, I'll have like a water bottle with my peak skin electrolyte packet already poured in and like shooken up by the bed. And I'll drink it before I go to bed. And then I'll have one in the morning. So like, you know, if they're being depleted faster, you need more, stay on top of it. My fourth point, which is kind of obvious, but I always like to mention it, always eat before. Don't drink on an empty stomach. Eating prevents that rapid absorption of alcohol. That way you're not going to get drunk as quickly. The faster you get drunk, it's, and, and oftentimes too, if you're drinking an empty stomach, you're drinking, you don't feel it, you're drinking, you don't feel it. But all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, you stand up, you're like, I feel it. So bad for the blood sugar. You're going to get drunk a lot faster. Who knows what's going to happen the rest of that night. Just don't do it. Always eat before drinking. My fifth point here when it comes to hangovers, this is an interesting one. You'll have to do it and report back. Let me know. But there's a lot, not a lot. There's research about cold showers, ice baths, cold exposure. So cold increases our adrenaline. There's a sharp adrenaline spike. And also we see a long-term increase in dopamine after these like intense periods of cold um, and dopamine, as we know, feel good neurotransmitter. But anyway, you take a really cold shower, you go in an ice bath, it raises your heart rate, which helps increase your circulation and therefore has been shown to help your body clear the alcohol faster. So if you're hungover and you have access to the, an ice bath or take a really cold shower, I don't know, 60 seconds, 90 seconds, 180 seconds, it may help expedite the hangover symptoms. It's not a guarantee, but try it. It will certainly get your heart rate up. And again, it spikes that adrenaline. It's, 
ideally going to help increase circulation and clear the alcohol faster. Obviously though, if you're in such bad shape that you're super hungover and this is like, you know, it could be unsafe if you're in, like I said, bad shape, but if you're like up and walking, you just don't feel great. Maybe you have a slight headache, you drink water, try the ice bath, try the super cold shower, one to three minutes, see how it goes. It could help you clear it. But again, if you are extremely intoxicated, do not take a bath <laughs> or expose yourself to like freezing cold water. Not a good idea. A point I wanted to mention called hair of the dog, and I don't know why it's called that. Maybe I should, but people have said, oh, this delays your hangover. I used to do that a lot in college. Be like, go wild Friday, wake up Saturday, you feel terrible, go to brunch, get a few mimosas, you feel great again. Don't do it. It's going to delay your hangover. It's not like you're not so you wake up feeling terrible. You drink. Okay. Now you don't feel terrible, terrible anymore, but you're going to feel terrible the next day. It's, it's delaying the hangover. It's not getting rid of it. Um, I would say sleep instead, move your body, go for a walk as painful as it might be getting just the system up and running again, going to help get everything moving. Hopefully expedites clearing alcohol from your system, but it's not that hair of the dog is necessarily like dangerous, but it's not, it's really not helping. And it's just adding more alcohol to the party and your poor body is just so fucking overworked. So skip that one. My final point when it comes to hangovers, this chemical compound called congeners, they're produced in the fermentation process of alcohol. They're found in darker liquors, or at least in much higher amounts in dar darker liquors. And they've been known to increase hangovers. Um, but their main effect is actually in disrupting the gut microbiome. So as we know, this can then lead to more inflammation, other issues that talk to the brain, talk to the liver, et cetera. But so congeners you'll see more in like whiskeys. I I'm trying to think, I don't even drink dark liquor. So I don't, <laughs> what's a dark li liquor? I guess brandy, whiskeys, things like that. If you can stick to clear, um, Blanco tequila, vodka. I'm a tequila drinker because it's an upper, whereas tequila excuse me, whereas vodka is a depressant, more of a downer. I, I like tequila, tequila blanco. Um, but yeah, congeners, again, it, they're not necessarily like, you're not going to see it like written on the bottle, like congener content, but it is a known chemical compound and they have been shown to lead to more severe hangovers and they are found in dark liquors. So that's just something to be aware of. Now, closing out today's alcohol episode, I feel like I need a drink after all of that. Um, I'm just kidding because like I said, I started at like 10 o'clock and now what is it like 10:45? So won't be drinking anytime soon. But what have I been talking about? The point is alcohol disrupts your gut. Alcohol causes inflammation, alcohol, the liver, the brain, I'll talk. So when your gut and liver are inflamed or going through inflammatory processes, or for example, metabolizing something like alcohol that causes inflammation, that inflammation is going to make its way up to your brain. That can impact your mood. That can impact a variety of things. Cause what does your brain impact? basically everything. So having a balanced, healthy gut is imperative for overall health, but including the body's ability to process and metabolize alcohol efficiently. Go in hydrated, really important. Get your electrolytes, get your minerals. And just remember the more you drink, the more you're disrupting your gut. And this impacts things like your health, your mood, your cravings, you know, the way you're going to feel the next day, the food you're going to crave the next day, appetite regulation. So if you are trying to lose weight for women, I'd say no more than four drinks a week for men, no more than seven, ideally if you can cut it out. But again, I'm typically hesitant to encourage people to cut things out entirely unless there's like a really like clinical reason they need to, but you know, restriction is not necessarily the answer. 
the less alcohol you drink, the better. But let's be honest, especially like I said, the warm weather coming up, we're outside, we're socializing more. We're in more situations where we're going to be drinking. So you can drink, you don't have to beat yourself up, you don't feel badly about it, but be smart about it. Stay hydrated, drink water in between each drink, and keep in mind the impacts it has on your gut and what your gut affects. Because A equals B and B equals C, we all know that equation. And that's that for alcohol and the gut. I wish I had um, something exciting that was like, oh yeah, alcohol is like really good for you. Start drinking more. No, um, definitely not. Anything I have is even close to that at at all, ever. So (laughs) trust me, I wish you were. I'd be the first to let you know. But you know, we're doing what we can over here. Stay educated and stay hydrated. (laughs) 